0: to facebook live i'm pastor mike brunzel for those of you that don't know me and uh, my wife and i pastor faith fellowship church in louisville kentucky i'm coming to you from my home tonight in taylorsville and i'm so happy you could join us if you would hit the share button down there at the bottom so you can tag your friends and let them know we're on i want to talk to you tonight about the subject of being willing and obedient willing and obedient you have your Bible or your Bible apparatus with you, turn with me to Isaiah, the first chapter. We're going to look at verses 19 and 20. Isaiah 1, 19 and 20. I'm going to read it to you in three different verses, or three different translations, the King James, the New Living Translation, and the Easy Reader Version. Isaiah 1, 19 and 20 says, if ye be willing and obedient you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. And then in the New Living Translation, it says, If you will only obey me, you will have plenty to eat. But if you turn away and refuse to listen, you will be devoured by the sword of your enemies. I, the Lord, have spoken. And then in the Easy Reader Version, it says, If you listen to what I say, you will get the good things from this land. But if you refuse to listen and rebel against me, your enemies will destroy you. The Lord himself said this. In other words, if you consent in your will and are also obedient in your actions, you shall eat the good of the land. And the good of the land is a common phrase that means uh, produce or everything that it produces. It means that you will prosper in the land and enjoy everything that the land can produce for you. He also said your enemies won't be able to, to devour you or slay you with the sword. And this is talking about Israel's physical enemies but, uh, that would invade their land from time to time and rob their crops and kill their people. But what about today? Do we have enemies today? Uh, do we have any enemies that would want to destroy us? Of course we do. How about sickness and disease? How about poverty and lack, drugs and other addictions? We have all kinds of enemies that would like to destroy us today. And God never said we wouldn't be invaded. He said the enemy wouldn't be able to destroy us. He never said that a weapon wouldn't be formed against us. He said that the weapons would not prosper. So the enemy will attack us. He just won't be able to devour our crops or destroy us. And uh, when we're willing and obedient to God's word, when we do the, the word of God, we'll be the ones eating and enjoying what our land produces and not the enemies. So we have to understand the condition for this kind of prosperity, uh, the condition for this kind of blessing. It doesn't come automatically. The condition is that we must be both willing and obedient, not one or the other. It has to be both willing and obedient. See, if you're willing and obedient, then it speaks of a person's will, a person's desire, uh, his want to, if you will. It has to be something that you desire to do, something that you want to do, and then you have to do it. It, ha- it has to be willingness and obedience. You know, little Johnny was misbehaving in school, and so his teacher told him to go sit in the corner. Uh, they used to make me sit in the book or the uh, clothes room where nobody could see me, the coat room. But anyway, Johnny went to the corner, but he didn't sit down. And so the teacher shouted, I said, sit. So little Johnny slowly and reluctantly sat down in the corner, but he mumbled under his breath. I might be sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. And, uh, you know, little Johnny was obedient, but he wasn't willing. He was forced into doing it but his willingness wasn't there. His heart wasn't in it. And that's what the big deal is, see? He did what he was told, but he was rebellious and defiant, and his heart wasn't right. And if his heart was right, he would have recognized that he was wrong for misbehaving. He would have repented, apologized, and he would have obeyed the teacher willingly because he knew that he deserved to be sitting in the corner. See, God wants us to be willing and obedient not just willing or obedient. He wants us to be willing and obedient because it actually reveals the condition of our heart. And that's what God's concerned with. God looks on our heart. He's not concerned with our outward appearance. He's concerned with what our heart looks like. And when we're willing to do what God's word tells us to do, it shows him that we esteem his will higher than our will. It shows him that we have a heart that's willing to yield to his ways and not our ways, and that's pleasing to God. see Jesus demonstrated this in the Garden of Gethsemane right before he was arrested and crucified. He was ready and willing to be obedient and go to the cross, but he wasn't quite willing. His heart wasn't quite lined up with with the heart of the Father at that point in time. His will was different than the Father's will as a matter of fact, that's why he prayed three times that that cup of suffering and death would pass by him and he wouldn't have to go to the cross. Uh, His will to preserve his life and protect his flesh and avoid all that suffering and, and the death on the cross that he was about to endure seemed to be stronger than his father's will at that point in time. His flesh didn't want to suffer and die, but eventually he submitted to his father's will. He said, nevertheless, not my will be done, but thy will be done. And so he submitted, and that's what tells me that his will had to be different than the father's will at that particular time, because he had to submit his will to the father's will. And when he did that, he became willing and obedient. And, and the reason I emphasize this is is because there are uh, people that are willing to do what the word says, but for some reason never do it. And then there are others that do what the word says, but they're not willing. And in other words, their heart is not in it and they're doing it for fear of the consequences or they're doing it for selfish reasons because they want the blessings that will come from being obedient to the word. They're obedient, but they're obedient for the wrong reasons. In Matthew 21 verses 28 through 31, Jesus tells a story about a certain man. Now, this is not a parable because Jesus uh, starts out uh, a certain man. And when he starts out that way, he's talking about something that actually happened an actual event of some kind. But he said in Matthew 21:28, "But what think ye? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he repented and went. And then he came to the second son and said likewise, and he answered and said, I go, sir, but went not. He didn't go. Whether of them twain did the will of his father, which one did the will of the father? They say unto him, the first, Jesus saith unto them, "Unto them, verily I say unto you that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. You see, the second son was willing, but didn't obey, where the first one was not willing but later repented, or we can say it like this, he had a change of heart, and then he went into the field. So he became willing and obedient. And because he was willing and obedient, he was pleasing to the Father, and the Father will reward him for being willing and obedient. Let's take tithing, for example. You know, tithing is simply giving a tenth of your income, uh, your gross income, before all the taxes are taken out. Because tithing means 10%. And so the word is clear about tithing and giving. That's the way God supports the ministry. That's the way he supports the church. He supports the uh, men, uh, missionaries and the evangelists that go out and preach the word of God. And, you know, some willing, some people are willing to tithe, but for very various different reasons, they never seem to get around to it. And then there's those that tithe, but they do it out of obligation or just to be obedient but they're really not willing because their hearts aren't in it. Now, i will be happy to accept your offering as a pastor because I'll pay the bills with it, but God won't accept an offering like that because it didn't come from the heart, and because you weren't willing, you were obedient, but you weren't willing, uh, there's a problem with your heart, and God doesn't like that he's not pleased with that. So even though I'll accept your offering, and I'll pay the electric bill with it, God won't accept it. And that's where your offering counts the most because we're to lay treasure up in heaven because uh, here it's going gonna, it's gonna, to uh, uh, corrupt and, and uh, rust and, and moths are going to take over it and it's not going to last down here. But in heaven, it goes into your heavenly account and God never forgets. But let me read something to you in 2 Corinthians chapters 9, chapter 9, verses 7 and 8. And this is in the Amplified uh, Version. He says, remember this, this is Paul talking to the Corinthian church and talking to you and I, he said, who, he who sows sparingly and grudgingly will also reap sparingly and grudgingly. And he who sows generously, that blessing may come to someone will also reap generously and with blessings. So this is the law of sowing and reaping. You sow, you reap. You sow a little, you reap a little. You sow a lot, you reap a lot. You know, if you uh, sow a garden and you uh, just sow a small garden, sow small seed, you'll reap a small crop. But if you sow a big garden then and sow a lot of seed, you'll reap a big crop. It makes sense, doesn't it? It's talking about giving money, but there's a principle here that will work with anything. You know, sometimes the... the Scriptures are very specific about something, and then other times, even though they're specific about uh, money here, it's still a principle that will apply and work with anything. So if you sow a lot of love, you'll reap a lot of love. If you sow a lot of forgiveness, you'll reap a lot of forgiveness. If you sow mercy, you'll reap mercy. If you sow grace, you'll reap grace. The Bible says every seed after its own kind. And so whatever type of seeds you sow, that's what you're going to reap. If you reap hatred, you're going to reap hatred. If you reap anger, you're going to reap anger. You you reap what you sow. That's the law of sowing and reaping. And then, uh, you know, uh, it's talking about... Uh, the law of sowing and reaping that works for everything. But here's a question. How much should I give? I know we say a tithe is 10%, but here's the New Testament. Paul said in in verse seven, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter nine, nine, verse seven, he says this. Let each one give as he has made up his own mind and purposed in his heart, not reluctantly or sorrowfully or under compulsion, In other words, don't do it because you think you have to. Don't give because of peer pressure or because you think God will be mad at you if you don't give. Give out of a good heart. For God loves, he takes pleasure in, prizes above other things, and is unwilling to abandon or to do without a cheerful, joyous, prompt to do it, giver whose heart is in his giving. Uh, You see, God is concerned with your heart. He's concerned with the condition of your heart. Is there love in your heart, compassion in your heart, generosity in your heart, mercy in your heart? Is there grace in your heart? But what happens when I give cheerfully from a good heart? Look at verse 8. It says, And God is able, God is able to make all grace, every favor and earthly blessing come to you in abundance so that you may always and under all circumstances and whatever the need be, self-sufficient, possessing enough to require no aid or support, and furnished in abundance for every good work and charitable donation. That's what happens to a cheerful giver. That's what happens to somebody who gives out of a good heart. See, what God is saying is you will always have enough of everything under every circumstances, even in a time of famine, even in the time of COVID-19, even when there's layoffs and jobs are disappearing and you're not working, God will make provision for you some kind of way. He doesn't care what the circumstances are. He's saying you'll always have enough of everything and you will uh, always have plenty left over to sow into other good works. In other words, you'll have enough for yourself and your family and everything that you need, and there'll be enough left over to sow more seed for your next harvest or your next crop. God never fails us. In Isaiah 55, 10, <coughs> excuse me. Isaiah says, for as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. As long as you keep sowing seed, God will continue to to provide plenty for you to eat, plus enough to have extra seed left over to sow for next spring. You know, every farmer knows that if he doesn't plant a crop in the spring, there's no sense in going to the field in the fall with his harvesting equipment because there's not going to be a crop there. You have to sow if you want to reap. You have to plant seed if you want to have a harvest. And as long as you're planting seed in the kingdom of God, you will always have a harvest. You know, I got a a little grandson, my, my youngest grandson, Tyler. He's 12 years old. That kid has got a giving heart. I mean, if I give him 20 bucks for working around the yard, he'll take and give 10 of that to the church. And we have a special building fund where we've been purchasing things for the building, like lights. And he'll give another five to the building fund to purchase a light. And he just keeps five for himself. So he's taking his crop and he's sowing 75% of it and just keeping 25% for himself. And I've always told him, I said, Tyler, you will never do without You will always have a harvest waiting in your field to be harvested any time that you need it because of a given heart that you have. So I know my grandson is never gonna do without because he's a giver, he's a sower. He plants seed and he's gonna have a harvest. So as long as you keep sowing seed, God will continue to provide your needs. You know, he said he gives seed to the sower. What if you're not a sower? You don't need any seed. He's not gonna give you any seed. But if you sow that seed, you'll get a crop, it will feed you and your family, and it will give you more seed to sow for another harvest. So we have to keep this thing perpetual, we have to keep it going, we have to sow, we reap, we sow, we reap, and this continues. And and, uh, with all the benefits of being willing and obedient, let me ask you this, why wouldn't we want to be willing and obedient? Why wouldn't we want to eat the good of the land? What keeps us from doing what God says? What keeps us from uh, relinquishing our will to God's will and being obedient in what he tells us to do? The same thing that Jesus struggled with in the Garden of Gethsemane, our flesh. You know, being carnal is probably the main reason that people are not willing and obedient to do God's word. Doing God's word requires you to leave your comfort zone sometimes, and people don't like to do that. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 4.3, a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching, teaching like you're getting tonight. They will follow their own desires and and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to see. In other words, I want to live any way I want to. I know what the Bible says, but I want you to tell me That what I'm doing is okay, and then I want you to give me scripture to back it up. But you know what? God doesn't do that. You know, they will follow their own desires. In other words, they'll be led around by their flesh, their fleshly desires. The faculties of the flesh are sight, smell, hearing, taste, and touch. This is what's leading a lot of people around. They do everything that makes them feel good regardless of the consequences. And these are the times we're living in right now. And I know I'm not talking about anybody in my Facebook audience tonight, but you may know somebody that needs to hear this message and you can direct them to our page. But we live in a generation where more people are driven by fleshly desires than ever before. People that give their flesh everything it wants. But if your flesh is not disciplined and controlled, it will destroy you. Uh, You know, our flesh is selfish and lazy. If it's tired, we put it to bed. If it wants to sleep, we let it sleep in. If it doesn't feel like working or going to school today, it will lie and say it's sick and we'll let it stay home. If it's too warm, we'll cool it. If it's too hot, we'll warm it up. Or if it's too uh, cold, we'll warm it up. If it wants to be entertained, we'll sit it in front of the television or we'll take it to a concert or a sporting event and we'll entertain it. If it's hungry, we'll feed it. If it's thirsty, we'll give it something to drink. Now, I'm not saying these things are wrong in themselves, but they become wrong when they start controlling you. And the Bible teaches us that all things should be done in moderation. Uh, In other words, too much of anything isn't good for you. You know, uh, Cheesecake and french fries are good, but if you eat them every night, they're not good for you. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6.12, it says in Amplified, Everything is permissible, allowable, and lawful for me, but not all things are helpful, good for me to do, expedient, and profitable, when considered with other things. Everything is lawful for me, but I will not become the slave of anything, or be brought under its power, (coughs) <coughs> excuse me or controlled by it so you know these things are not a sin uh they're lawful to do but there's a consequence some of the things that we do although they're lawful although they're permissible they're not always expedient they're not always profitable they not they don't always bring good results to our flesh or our bodies So when you can't say no to your fleshly desires, then they are controlling you and that makes it wrong. Uh, Let's talk about some sensitive things for a minute. Uh, But before we do, I want to let you know up front, I'm not condemning anyone that's engaged in any of these practices we're about to talk about. I've done them myself. (coughs) I'm talking about them because I love you enough to risk getting you upset with me. And what Paul is telling Timothy and, and us is that people have become slaves to their fleshly desires and they're looking for teachers who will justify what they're doing through the Word of God. And people don't want inconvenience to inconvenience their flesh. But who's in charge, you or your flesh? And when I say you, I'm talking about the spirit man on the inside because you're a spirit. You have a soul that consists of the mind, the will, and the emotions, and you live in a body. And, and Paul calls this our earthly tabernacle, a tent, the temple of God. And so the real you is on the inside looking out through this body right now. And uh, if your flesh is in charge, then you're in trouble because your flesh is on a destruction course and it will eventually kill you. This verse speaks to the world we live in today, where even those who call themselves Christians twist God's word in a way that will suit them and allow them to live their lives any way they want instead of the way that God has instructed us to live. And that's why he's saying if you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land or you'll enjoy the the prosperity of the land, the produce that the land produces. Uh, but here's the thing. What's the opposite of that? If you're not willing and obedient, you're not going to enjoy these things. But let's talk for a minute about, and I know these are sensitive, but like I said, I, I feel qualified to talk about them because I've been there. Drinking, smoking, porn, and drugs. Now The only one I haven't really done was drugs, but I, I've had uh, painkillers before because I've had a couple surgeries and that. And, and I know how drugs can make the flesh feel. Uh, I've never been addicted to uh, drugs or anything like that, but I I know what they can do for you. But I've actually had people challenge me over these things, and they'll say things like, show me in the Bible where it's a sin to drink or it's a sin to smoke uh, or it's a sin to do this or a sin to do that. And the Bible doesn't say anything about it, so it's obviously not important enough to God to mention it, so it's not a sin. And so, you know, uh, especially with drinking, they'll say, Well, Jesus turned water into wine, and Paul told Timothy to drink a little wine for his stomach's sake. And you know what? I can't argue with you there. If drinking was a sin, then Jesus would have never turned water into wine, and Paul would have never told Timothy to drink any wine for any reason. So let's not say it's a sin, but let me give you something to think about. Proverbs 20, verse 1 says this, wine produces mockers. Alcohol leads to brawls. Those led astray by drink cannot be wise. And what's the opposite of being wise? Being a fool. And then in Isaiah 28, 7, it says, but even these reel from wine and stagger from strong drink. The priest and the prophet reel from strong drink. They are confused from wine. They stagger and are going astray through strong drink. They err in vision. They stumble when pronouncing judgment. And then one more scripture, Uh, Jesus said out of the mouth are two or three witnesses, shall every word be established, so I gave you two, I'm going to give you one more witness. Hosea 4.11 says, harlotry and wine and new wine take away the heart and the mind and the spiritual understanding. So let's see, let me see if I got this right. If you drink, it will have you mock, have people mocking you and calling you a fool It will have you rolling around on the floor brawling with somebody. It will have you staggering and confused, going astray, can't see straight, and stumbling. Oh, and it will ruin your ability to think think straight. (coughs) Yep, it might not be a sin, but it will cause you to sin by losing control of your faculties. Alcohol has caused good, responsible people to become irresponsible. It's caused good people to lose their jobs, their cars, their homes, their marriages, their families, their health. And in thousands of cases, it's caused them to lose their very lives or the lives of innocent people because they drove drunk. And it's for these same reasons that we shouldn't use drugs. I won't go into drugs because I'm not an authority on drugs. Like I said, I've had a, a a few painkillers, but I know what drugs can make you feel like. And, uh, I know I don't have to give you any statistics concerning drugs and what it's doing to this country and our society right now, but if I had to, I could show you some scary statistics about drugs, but I won't. But good people, just like you and I, that didn't think drinking a little or using a controlled subject a substance would hurt anyone, they didn't know how. They didn't know that they would get hooked. And they never thought they would become alcoholics or drug addicts. And they all started with one drink or one hit or one puff. What about smoking? Let's say it's not a sin. But there's just some, uh, but here's just some of what's wrong with it. For one thing, it compromises your immune system, the very immune system that God created you with and placed in you to stay healthy. And smokers lower smoking lowers your tolerance to fight off diseases effectively. As a result, it causes all kinds of problems. And uh, besides all that, it's a proven fact that it shortens your life. So even if it's not a sin, why would we want to smoke? And, and as a, res, a direct result of smoking, there's thousands of people that struggle by every day just to take a simple breath. Uh, they have emphysema, COPD, and sometimes even lung cancer. And that's just a few of the things that smoking causes us. And again, I'm not condemning anybody. Trust me, I, you know, I've been there. I smoke most of my life. I drank. Uh, I got in trouble for it. You know, I, I, I've done all these things that I, I'm telling you about right now. But uh, 1 Corinthians 3.17 says this. If anyone does hurt to God's temple your body, or corrupts it with false doctrines or destroys it, God will do hurt to him and bring him to the corruption of death and destroy him. Uh, This, again, what talking about here is in the uh, permissive sense rather than the causative. God will not do hurt to you. He will allow hurt to come to you through your disobedience. Uh, For the temple of God is holy, sacred to him, and that temple you... The believing church and its individual believers are. So he's saying you're the temple of God. <coughs> so he doesn't want us doing things that will cause damage to this temple. Finally, what about porn? After all, God created us naked, so it must be—it must not be wrong to look at naked bodies. Uh, nudity is a form of art, you know. Right. And that's why we look at it. We're all art enthusiasts. But besides, you can't find any scriptures in the Bible that even say porn is a sin. This is what people actually told us. So if the Bible doesn't say anything about porn, it must not be a sin. And see, what they're doing is justifying their behavior and looking for ways to uh, get somebody to tell them that it's all right, that what they're doing is okay, God understands, he knows you have needs and that. No, it's, it's a sin and it's wrong. And besides that, I can off the top of my head, give you 20, 25 scriptures that directly address porn itself. But let me just give you a few examples. In 1 Corinthians 6, 18 and 19, it says, shun immorality and all sexual looseness. Flee from impurity in thought, word, or deed. Any other sin which a man commits is one outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple, the very sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who lives within you, whom you have received as a gift from God? You are not your own. So he's telling us, you know, the Holy Spirit doesn't want to share this temple with any of those things. And in 1 Peter 2:11 it says, Beloved, I implore you as aliens and strangers and exiles in this world to abstain from the sensual urges the evil desires, the passions of the flesh, all these things that porn produces, your lower nature that wage war against the soul. And then finally in Ephesians 5, 3, it says, but there must be no sexual sin among you. There must not be any kind of evil or selfishly wanting more and more. How many knows uh, it's never enough because such things are not right for God's holy people. But you know what? I don't need scripture to realize that porn is wrong because every rapist, pedophile, pervert, spouse abuser, every sexual deviant has a background in porn. And I don't need scripture to realize that drinking, smoking, or drugs are wrong. All I have to do is is look at what these things are doing to God's creation, and I know they're wrong. And I know there's a lot of people that would disagree with me, but I won't even debate these questions with anybody because... Even if they aren't a sin, you can never prove to me that God is pleased with these things or pleased with what it does to humanity. And you'd never be able to justify the results of these things. And I know there's good, loving, well-meaning, hard-working people in the body of Christ and even in our church that uh, may smoke or drink or look at porn and uh, maybe even use drugs. And we want you to know that we still love you and we don't think any less of you. Uh, and we would never condemn you for it, but I still have to tell you the truth. I mean, you know, I, I took an oath to preach the, the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. The The whole word of God, the full Bible. I can't pick and choose what God wants to teach his people. I have to teach it all. And, you know, sometimes it's uh, uh, strawberries and whipped cream and, and ice cream and, things like that and other times you got to have some broccoli and some green beans and maybe some other vegetables that you don't like but I have to feed you a balanced diet and this is part of it but before I close I want you to ask yourself a question for me and uh, please answer it truthfully to yourself would God approve or be pleased with any of these things If your answer is no, then you also have to agree that if God won't approve of them, then we shouldn't approve of them either. If God doesn't approve of something, and we call ourselves Christians, then we shouldn't approve of them either. And, you know, we do these things because it makes our flesh feel good. That's the only reason that we do these things. There's no other benefit to it except that it makes us feel good or makes our flesh feel good. But it's destroying your spirit. It's an enemy of your soul, the Bible says. Uh, But let me tell you something about the flesh. It's never satisfied. You know, it starts out with one drink, one hit, one high, one whatever. And and next time it wants more. And next time it wants more. And I'm telling you, it will continue until it kills you. The flesh don't care if it kills itself. It will continue because it's always looking for ways to make it more comfortable and to make it feel better. And, And it doesn't care what it does, even if it's destroying itself. Uh, and if you're born again and you're involved in any of these things, again, uh, those that are in Christ Jesus, there is therefore no condemnation. God would never condemn you. I would never condemn you for it, but I just want you to know you have a helper on the inside of you that can help you overcome these things. I quit all those things. I quit drinking. I quit smoking. I quit everything like that, and, and I could never do it in myself because before I was born again, I tried quitting uh, smoking and quitting, drinking. I knew it was bad for my health. Uh, I was in that generation that the Surgeon General first came out and put those stamps on the cigarette patches that uh, smoking causes cancer and all. And I knew it was wrong. I knew it was hurting me and I wanted to quit. And I'd quit for a while and i start right back. I just couldn't do it in myself. Some people have the willpower to do that. God bless you if you do. I needed help and my help came from above. And And once I was born again. And, and I realized my conscience was bothering me for smoking because I would go to the hospital to visit somebody with my pastor. And I felt, I don't know, uh, uh, less than, uh, adequate. I I just felt, I smell like smoke. I'm a smoker. I don't have no business praying for people. I, I, you know, I had this consciousness about me that would have held me back. And finally, one time God says, you can quit if you want. And so I did. I said, God, I'm going to need your help. My wife and I both at the same time, we laid those cigarettes down. And with the help of God, never once picked them up again. And we've been free from smoke since 1984, something like that. So it can be done. You've got some help on the inside of you that will help you get through these things. And, uh, you know, you have pastors. If you go to church, you have pastors that would be happy to pray for you. Uh, counsel you in these things, get you any kind of help that you need, but uh, we hate to see you destroying yourself. We want you to live here as long as you possibly can, and and don't get me wrong, these things I talked about, the smoking, the, the drinking, the drugs, the porn, whatever else you can think of, these things don't send you to hell. I mean, uh, when you die, if you're born again, when you die, even if you were involved in these things, involved in them, when you, in them, when you die, you'll still go to heaven. But my only question is this. Do you want to go sooner than you have to? I don't think so. Stick around as long as you can. And if these things are destroying your health, quit them. God will help you get through them. Put them behind you. Start living your life the way that God wants you to be. Uh, Be willing and obedient and enjoy the good of the land. Enjoy the produce of the land. And and like I said, uh, I don't believe you'll go to hell for it. I don't think you'll uh, it'll keep you out of heaven. It'll get you there sooner. But, uh, these are reasons why we have to discipline our flesh. These are diff- reasons why we have to control our flesh. You know, uh, we believe in fasting, uh, but not for the reason a lot of other people do. They think it's going to change God or it's going to move God's hand. Fasting doesn't change God. God doesn't change for anybody for, because of fasting. What fasting does is changes you. And when you fast, you're denying your flesh things. And when you deny your flesh things, then you begin to discipline it and control it. And you tell it, no, you're not going to have that cheesecake. You're not going to smoke. You're not going to drink. You're not going to sleep 12 hours. You're going to get up early in the morning. And, and And you fast from television. You fast from doing things that your flesh likes to do once in a while. And all it is is disciplining your flesh, getting it under control, And putting your spirit man in charge because your spirit is being led by God. Your flesh is being led by things that make you feel good. But let me close with this scripture in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, 24 through 27. This is Paul talking to the Corinthian church again. He says, you know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one runner gets the prize. So run like that, run to win. All who compete in the games use strict training. They do this so that they can win a prize, one that doesn't last, but our prize is one that will last forever. So I run like someone who has a goal. I fight like a boxer who is hitting something, not just air. It is my own body. I fight to make it do what I want. I do this so that I won't miss getting the prize myself after telling others about it. The real you is the spirit man inside. Paul talks about his body as though it was a possession. I is the real Paul, the real inner man. And the body is just what he lives in, the house that he's spending his time here on earth. And it's your responsibility to discipline it and control it. But like I said, we have the the help of the Holy Spirit to do that. So if you can't control your flesh, then you'll never be willing and obedient. So uh, I believe that we can. I mean, I'm, I'm living proof of that. Uh, I've quit things that uh, I found out to be un, not pleasing to the Lord. And if I can quit them, you can quit them is what I'm saying. So uh, I don't know exactly what you want to do. If you enjoy that stuff and you think you've got a handle on it, and uh, like I said, it's not going to send you to hell. And it's not going to uh, keep you out of heaven. It's just going to get you there sooner. And I want you to stick around as long as you can. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you. Lord, I pray this message has reached some fertile soil in the hearts of your people. I pray, God, that it's opened some eyes. I pray that they realize that they have a can-do spirit living on the inside of them. And, Lord, if these things are not pleasing to you, I pray that they that come to be not pleasing to them as well. And Lord, I thank you for the mighty Holy Ghost that lives inside of us, the greater one, greater than he that's in the world. And, And we thank you and praise you that he's our helper. He's our comforter. He's our standby. He's our advocate. He's standing by right now to help us. All we have to do is surrender these things to you and seek you for the help that we need to overcome them. And we know that we will overcome them through Christ Jesus our Lord. So we thank you and we praise you for it, Lord. We give you all the glory and honor. I pray for each and every one that's within the sound of my voice right now, that you bless them. God, that you heal them, that you prosper them, that you set them free. And Lord, you said "When whom the sun sets free is free indeed. So set them free tonight, Lord. We thank you and we praise you for it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Well, thank you for listening to me again or tolerating me tonight or putting up with me, whatever the case may be. But uh, again, I I didn't say any of that to condemn anybody. We love you and we appreciate you. And and, uh, we're just talking to you from a standpoint that where we have come from. And uh, we know that some of you would like to change some things in your life. And all I want you to know is that you can do it. We love you and appreciate it. We'll see you again Sunday morning at 1030. God bless you.